0: Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. That's our passage this morning. We're going to get back to it in just a second if you didn't get a chance to look it up. Uh, let me ask you a question. Does anybody remember when they learned how to ride a bike? Does anybody remember that day? Like, I, I tried real hard this week to remember, and I don't. I don't remember learning how to ride a bike. Um, my guess is if you learned how to ride a bike, uh, many of you did it with the aid of training wheels. Training wheels are a really useful tool, man. They get in there. They keep keep you from wobbling. It's been a long time since either one of our kids were uh, using training wheels. I'm going to tell you what. There was a time when training wheels were all the rage up at our house, man. Because here's the thing. uh, Kids weren't quite ready for the full-on bike, you know, because you're falling down, and that hurts. But the tricycle was too slow, and that little big wheel thing, the big plastic wheel. Like, those are cool, but you can't really go on a long family walk. At least, if anybody's going on a walk with a little kid with one of those little things, you're like, oh, my goodness. This is taking so long. But the tricycle, man, it's go time, right? Not tricycle, the the, the bicycle with with training wheels, go time. Because training wheels let you just go, and so you're just zipping all over the place. I remember my kids thinking they were big stuff when they had the training wheels. Uh, The training wheels aren't perfect, okay? They're kind of loud, and they're a little bit annoying. But they are a great tool. They give a kid a chance to try the two-wheel bicycle without all of the risk of all of the failure. I mean, it helps them build the confidence, Right? You get to practice balance. And when you don't quite have the balance, what does it do? It catches you when you fall. And so it's really good. Uh, But here's the thing. One day, one day, if you start out on training wheels, the goal is to not be on training wheels anymore. Like the goal is to be riding the bike by yourself. That is the goal. And so we have this analogy. That's an analogy that I'm going to kind of tie it through this entire study of the book of Hebrews that we're getting into. There's this picture of training wheels all over our life. Lots of different places. Uh, The bowling alley. You ever, when, you know, use the bumpers out there? When you're three years old, it's awesome. You hit a strike every time, or at least it doesn't go in the gutter. Uh, no one's really impressed at your 35-year-old self trying to sink it with the bumpers out. They're like, Put, come on. Like, you're not, but the goal is not the bumpers, but they're very helpful. But the goal is to be able to play without the bumpers. Uh, training wheels are important, but they're not the goal. Or when you had your driver's permit. I know a couple of you in here have a driver's permit right now. Like, that's awesome. You're on the road, you're behind the wheel, you're doing the thing, but the goal is not to ride with mom and dad all the time, is it? The goal is to have your own chance to get a speeding ticket all by yourself. Like, that's what you get to do when you have your driver's license, right? And so, you, you get it. It's not the goal, but it's very helpful. There's this training situation we go through. Maybe you, you got a new job, right? And you went in and there was some person that trained you. In the moment and you're very thankful for that mentorship and that guidance but the goal is to do the job you got hired to do you get it so training wheels are not the goal but they're very helpful the goal is eventually to get to the big prize whatever that is I want to use this training wheels analogy as an image to help us understand the main goal of the book of Hebrews Because the author is going to go into some training wheel scenarios with us and explain to us that there are several times in the Bible where God has a big plan for his people. But before he fully reveals it, he kind of gives them some practice. He gives them some testing ground. He gives them some some opportunity to ease into it. Not, Not all the time. Sometimes God is totally good with us jumping into the deep end. But particularly in these instances, and most importantly, in the things that lead us to understanding about Jesus, Because why didn't he just drop Jesus on the earth, just come down here, God in the flesh, right after Adam and Eve sinned the first time? I've asked that question lots of times. It wasn't God's plan. I think it's got a lot to do with the same concept concept as training wheels. He he wanted to set a scenario and, and a condition under which we could fully embrace and appreciate and accept the gift that he was going to send us through Jesus. And so that's kind of like a big nutshell version of understanding the book of Hebrews. We're going to be studying this thing for six weeks, and I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out, to read those things, to be studying along with us because there's so much more than we can even get to in our times uh, on Sunday morning. But at its core, at the core of the book of Hebrews is it's a book about how God used many situations to prepare the world for coming into the world as Jesus. And so what I want to get you to do right now is go ahead and grab your Bibles. Please get one. If you don't have one that you can, like a paper Bible look it up on your phone that's totally fine I know most of you have a phone if you don't have that go grab a Bible from the door over here there's a shelf that you're welcome to grab a Bible and use it we always give these Bibles away for free by the way if you just need a Bible keep it you don't have to put it back on the shelf when you leave or if you just need to borrow it for the day you can and we're going to be starting at the very beginning chapter 1 verse 1 the book of Hebrews while you're flipping over there maybe you got to even look in your index to find it no shame in that game um I want to give a little bit of background in case you aren't really familiar of the context of what we're coming into here with the book of Hebrews. And so actually let's back way up from the Bible. Let's look at it from a 10,000 foot view. And let me give you an overview of the whole Bible. The Bible is not just one book. It's actually a library of 66 books. There's a lot of different books in the Bible. They've got like different genres and different settings and, and different reasons. Uh, and they're divided into two major sections. And so this first section that we get, uh, it begins with the 39 books of the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is the story of God establishing the nation of Israel. And so in the Old Testament, we've got, you know, their creation story and the story of the founding fathers, people like Abraham and his family tree. And Abraham actually has a family tree that leads all the way to Jesus. That's the connection all the way to the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, you've got lots of different uh, genres of book. And so you've got a book of several books of Jewish religious law. We've got some historical books. We've got some poetic books and books of like worship songs and poetry and stuff like that. We've got some books of prophecy Spoiler, the series that we're doing after this book of Hebrews is actually going to be going through some of the minor prophets. We're going to call it Major Lessons from Minor Prophets, and we're actually going to look at the, the first, I think, six minor prophets this summer. And we're going to get through the, the, the rest of them next summer, because when's the last time you read Obadiah? Okay, we're going, to do, we're going to look into it. We're going to see what's in there, because there's a lot of meat on the bone there for us as well. So that's the Old Testament. We also kind of synonymously call this the Old Covenant, so the, the, old, the, the word testament and the word covenant can kind of be interchangeable because in the Old Testament, this is God's system through the priesthood and the temple and sacrifices. And that's the whole Old Testament, God's covenant, His agreement, His promise with us. Then we move on to the New Testament. So in the 66 books, the last 27 are the books of the New Testament. And we talk, Christians are most familiar with our New Testament. Okay, we really get into that thing a lot. The first four are just Books are biographies of the life of Jesus, and then we get into a lot of letters written by apostles, and and, uh, there's a history book of the early church called Acts. Um, And so that's the New Testament books, and we spend a lot of time in that. Now, I say all of that, Old Testament, New Testament, because the book of Hebrews can serve as kind of a, a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't believe that's why it was written necessarily, but it really is, as you read it, You can understand the overlap of why did God do all of this first and do all of this next. Remember, training wheels. And so the book of Hebrews is going to give us this kind of, this bridge to connect the dots and help us understand that. As you study a new book of the Bible, a really good principle is to do what we just call the background information. And so one of the first things that we look at is the the audience, the occasion. Like, why was this written? And so the audience, uh, it's kind of written to a general audience of Jewish Christians. And so these are people who are very obviously, as we're going to read through the book of Hebrews, these people are very obviously super familiar with the Old Testament. They know the Old Testament. So he's just going to be dropping quotes from the Old Testament left and right. Those of us who are, you know, even raised in the church and spend a lot of time in the Bible might not quickly pick up on some of the references. And so fortunately, most of your Bibles have footnotes. And so I recommend that you kind of look for those footnotes and see like it, it, the early readers would have read that a minute. It's a clear, you know, it's a clear allusion to something that we have from our history. The average person at that time that was a devout Jewish person, you know, many people would have had huge chunks of the Old Testament memorized by the time they're 12 years old. Uh, because this is their entire Bible, and this is their history. And so, but we don't have that benefit. So I wanna kinda let us know, we're, we're actually on a back foot here. We're at a slight disadvantage to the or, original audience because we're not gonna quick, pick up on these things as quickly, but it's really good because it gives us an opportunity to interact with the Old Testament when maybe you hadn't before. And so there, that's that. Um, for many modern readers, the book of Hebrews may take a little bit of work. But that's what we're here for. We're here to do this together. Okay, the other thing that we typically get into when you study a book is the authorship. Who wrote this book? I'm going to make this really, really easy. Like, this is the easiest part of my teaching today. The author of Hebrews is, we don't know. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, And and, and it's not that there should be, like, a, a lot of doubt about that. It's just that in the book of Hebrews, the author doesn't, like, sign it. He doesn't say, like, I wrote this, or she doesn't say, I, I wrote this. Unlike in other New Testament books, uh, for example, the book of Galatians, you can read this in the first paragraph, it says, Paul, an apostle to the churches in Galatia. You know it was the apostle Paul, or someone writing on Paul's behalf, sometimes he would have uh, kind of a, a secretary write down things for him is kind of the way of looking at that. Or, or, or for example, in the book of Hebrews, you've got this phrase, Paul, a servant of Christ to all living in Rome. Like, it's very simple. Hebrews just doesn't give us that. Uh, The earliest Bible scholars and the earliest church, they attributed it to the apostle Paul. But in some other scholarship, people look at that and go, well, his writing style is not quite like the rest of Paul's writings. And so there's a lot of other suggestions as to who may have written this book. I'll tell you this. Who wrote it isn't going to make a difference in how we study it. Because the meat is still there, and the early church accepted it quickly as an important bridge between the Old Testament story and the New Testament. So that's just a little bit of background. There's other things we could get into. Um, But today as we get into it, I want to see how the author of Hebrews lays out the purpose of the whole book in just the first three verses, okay? So we're gonna not we're gonna read through big chunks later, but today we're only gonna read through three verses, and I've actually already read them. That's what I started out with. But if you got your Bible open now, I'm going to promise you this. You will get so much more out of this if you follow it with your finger under the words. Because we're going to break up, like we're going to dissect these three verses super big. It's going to be on the screen. If you're a note taker, there's going to be some places where you can write some things down, maybe the margin of your Bible. That's going to help you get the most out of this. And in doing so, it's going to set us up for growing so much and understand how much God loves us in the next six weeks. And so here we go. We're going to jump back in. Hebrews chapter one, starting at verse one. And this is what it says, just the first verse. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So this is a foreshadowing of the rest of the book. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. He spoke to us. There were people who lived before us, and God revealed himself to us. And as the author writes to these people, these Christians who are so familiar with the Jewish text, these guys are immediately going to be like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, you know, King Solomon, King David. Like there's these these prophets that came through. Jonah, these stories, they just jump in their mind immediately. So I want you to just like tap into your, your, your Old Testament ancient Jewish mind and be like, okay, in the past God spoke to us in a lot of different ways in various ways, through prophets, through all kinds of things. And this theme is going to be expanded on everywhere all throughout uh, the rest of the book. Next week, for example, so this week we're going to just start here, but next week we're going to look at that first way that God spoke to our ancestors. Like he did that through the Torah. These are the books of uh, of teaching and instruction. and So this was basically their Bible. So that's one way that he talked to us. We can look at that in chapter 2. Uh, in the following week, in week 3, we're going to look at Chapters 3 and 4, and one way that God spoke to the ancients is through Moses. And Moses brings the Ten Commandments, the rest of God's law. So that's one way immediately the original hearers are going to hear it that way. In the fourth week, we're going to be in chapters 5 through 7. And this is a place where we're going to talk about the priesthood. Now, this is the height of what it meant to connect with God, to be a priest or to go see a priest or have priestly duties performed for you and over your family and over the nation. And so that's going to be another way God uh, you know, interacted, spoke to the forefathers. In the following week, in the fifth week of the study, we'll look at chapters 8 through 10. And in chapters 8, through 13 we're going to look at the, that system that the priests oversaw, the temple system, the system of sacrifice, and what did it look like for God to speak through God's uh, sacrificial system. And in the final week, we're going to look at chapters 11 through 13. And in this section, he's going to outline every significant way that God spoke to people in ancient times. And he's going to give a list of all these people who he spoke to. And it's going to be kind of this moment of uh, people call it the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And there's, it's, all, it's all in there. And so I needed to pause to give you all that background and, and the track because that's going to help you appreciate verse 2. Okay. So in the past God spoke to us in many ways. Verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. This is like the climactic transition of God's interaction with mankind. Things are changing. We talk about Jesus every week at our church on some level. We do communion to celebrate his resurrection. We have so many instances. And through Jesus, the training wheels come off. God speaks in many ways, but through Jesus, he's the entry into God's big plan, his ultimate dream for mankind, enters the world. Jesus is God in the flesh. God to make his dwelling among us. Now, there's a comma at the end of verse two. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, comma, okay? But we are not going to move past that comma. I need to let you know, But to, until I let you know this. Uh, he's talking about God speaking to us. And, and before we listen to God speak to us, I got to get everybody's attention. Because I know how church can be, right? Like, all right, we've already been in this for you know I don't know 10 minutes and and like I'm thinking about lunch and did I leave the crock pot on because man it's going to be bad if I didn't and what's going on with my kid right now and I'm getting this text message I gotta pause okay in the past God spoke to our forefathers in many ways but today he's speaking through his son and let me ask you a question are you listening are you listening because I, I, it's this classic cliche thing of you're talking to a friend, you're talking to your kids, you're talking to your spouse, and you realize you've been talking for a while, and you're like, are you listening? They're like, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. You're like, I know you hear me, but are you, are you listening? Like, I'm telling you something, I want you to do something, I want to impact you. And so, as he moves into this the whole book, he's saying, listen, I want you to know, the person talking to you is God who came to earth, that's what we call the son of God, are you listening? And so, and to make sure that we're listening, he's going to give us now seven descriptors of why Jesus is worth listening to, okay? So that's kind of the meat now of what today's lesson is. There are these seven things. If you're a note taker, I encourage you to write them down, write them in the margin of your Bible, underline them and circle them in your Bible, just because there's going to be a list of seven ways that Jesus is just now superior and supreme to all of the other ways that God has communicated with mankind. Are you listening? Are you listening? So here's the first one. Um, Let's see. Let me make sure I do this the right way. Okay, here's the first one. But in these last days, God spoken to us by His Son, number one, whom He appointed heir of all things. Why should we listen to Jesus? There is a royal nature to who Jesus is. Remember, the first readers would have immediately picked up on clues that we totally don't pick up on. I know that when you when you when you read this, when you heard this right now, you immediately were like. <laughs> Psalm chapter 2, 7 through 8, it just just got me right there, right? Now, I know, we don't, we don't think about it like that. But there are a lot of places in the Psalms especially where we talk about the royalty, the kingship of God's presence in the world. And specifically, it talks about him like a son. Look at it in Psalms 22, 7 through 8. I'll just read it to you. Psalm 2, 7 through 8, it said, He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. This is the language of giving a kingdom to a king. We just spent six weeks talking about kingdom come. That was our whole last series. The nature of Jesus as king. Are you listening? Why should we listen to Jesus? Because God has appointed him king, whom he appointed heir of all things, the empire, the kingdom of God. This is who we're listening to. Then he says the second one. And through whom he also made the universe. All right, put on your thinking caps. If you know some Old Testament, we're talking about made the universe. What immediately comes to mind for you? Genesis chapter one, maybe? Creation story? Okay, very good, very good. There's others that may have come to the original readers. I encourage you to read through Proverbs chapter eight this week. I'm gonna read you a couple of verses of it. But listen to this narrative of what it looks like when it, the presence of God is involved in creation. Proverbs eight twenty-seven through 29 says, I was there when he set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the foundations of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overlap his command, and when he marked out the foundations Of the earth, and through whom He made the universe. This is creator narrative. This is giving Jesus the authority over creation. That He was there. The Book of Colossians says that through Him all things were made, and by Him they were made, and they were made for Him. This is talking about Jesus in Colossians chapter one, starting at verse fifteen. So why are we listening? Why should we listen? He's been He's been given the inheritance of the earth. He's our King. He is Creator. Number three. Actually, we're going to cover three, four, and five. In one fell swoop, because they kind of roll together really easy. Let's look at the next three reasons why we should listen to what Jesus has to say. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. That's number three, and the exact representation of His being. That's number four, sustaining all things by His powerful word. Number five. Let's look into that a little bit. You guys know the the sun. You seen it? It's pretty bright. Yeah, uh, it's been working this weekend. sun <laughs> was working just fine. The sun is, uh, let me check my notes here. I think it's 97 million, 94 million miles away. I cannot fathom how far that is. That's really far. Uh, you can't look directly at the sun. If you do, it will damage your eyes. <laughs> Maybe you've looked at it and been like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, the sun is bright. The sun is immensely powerful. You can't really interact with it. We don't send astronauts to walk on the sun. They would not come back. But what's amazing is, so far away, we feel its radiance. You felt it yesterday. It's warm on our skins. It will will actually burn our skin. It warms the entire planet. It warms multiple planets. (laughs) It reflects off of our moon so we can so brightly, we can see at night, okay? So this is an analogy that I want us to use to understand this phrase. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. God is in the way that the sun is. You, You can't look directly into God. You can't be in His presence. His holiness overshadows us, and we see in Scripture, when people have attempted to enter in God's holiness, it ends them. Okay, and so this is a big deal. But His radiance is felt. He is interacting with the whole earth. We see Him moving. We see His presence all over the place, and and who who is the personification of God's radiance? Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory. The, The number four there. He's the exact representation of God's being. There's so much I want to say about this, so much so that that's actually what I'm going to end on, okay? So can we fold that one up, stick it in your pocket? We're going to pull that out in a minute because we're going to talk about him being the exact representation of his being. And then fifthly, the son sustains all things by his powerful word. This is more creation language. We actually talked about this a minute ago when he was involved in creation. And so this is the idea that not only is he the creator, but he's keeping it alive, we see this all the time with people who start businesses and then they aren't able to stay open. It's it's harder to keep a business open than it is to start it. And the the, the fact that God would be active in keeping creation moving, and He does that through Jesus, isn't that amazing? That's powerful. So that's why I ask the question: Are you listening? Are you listening? Sometimes, when someone has more authority and more power in our life, we're more likely to listen to them. There's none with greater power, none with greater authority than Jesus. And so, he gives us so far these five reasons that we should listen. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he's spoken to us by his son. We've looked at five reasons why. Now, look at the last two. It says, after he had provided purification for sins, that's actually a reason why we should listen. Number seven, he's set down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. Let's talk about these two real quick. This idea of the purification of our sins—this is this is huge. This again, uh, the, the original readers are immediately going to think through what is it? What is it? What is it? Leviticus. Yeah, they're going to see Leviticus all over the place. Two spaces that I think are really strong would probably be Leviticus chapter 4, if you want to jot that down and read it later. Later, Leviticus chapter 16. These are very clear instructions on how the priests should handle our sin or how they should present them to God and how purification, purification could be provided. Do you know what our biggest problem is? It is not the price of gas. It is our sin. Our biggest problem is that we have a problem honoring God with our lives. And so from ancient times, God has provided purification, and he did it through the temple system to the priests we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. But check out what Jesus does. He provided purification for sin. And I was trying to think of a way we could appreciate that. Because I, th- I think we mostly just sweep our sin under the rug and like we just feel bad about it later, or not at all. I don't think we can really appreciate how deeply this Jewish culture thought about purification all the time. It's all they thought about, many of them. There were so many rituals they had to do, prayers they had to say, ways they had to wash their hands, clothes that they wore at different times. They were constantly concerned with being ritually pure. Like you couldn't go into the temple and worship unless you had done these things correctly. And there was a whole like cast of people, the priesthood, that took care of these things in a whole different way. This was constantly, 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 constantly on their mind. And then suddenly they don't have to think about it as much anymore. Because Jesus has provided purification for sins. How can we internalize that? I think the closest thing we could understand to that is how much we take for granted clean running water. Hear me out on this. There are people in the world who do not have clean drinkable water. It will give them stomach diseases and they will die if they drink the water like at their house. And so there are people whose entire life is wrapped up around getting up early in the morning, getting all the jugs and buckets and cans and cups and bowls and everything they got, and putting it on their heads and putting it on their kids' backs and just loading them up. And then they walk miles and miles and miles to the clean water source, clean-ish water source. They load up, load up, load up, load up. And then they make the big trek back, and they cook all the food, and they wash all the things, and they get everything done. And then guess what they got to do tomorrow? Go get some more water. Like the whole village goes out and gets water. It consumes their every waking hour. And when it doesn't rain for a few days, oh, they start to get worried. What are we going to do? How are our crops going to grow? How, is our, how are we going to nourish our children? How are we going to have water? Water, 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 water. And then some philanthropist shows up, drills a hole in their backyard, puts a pump there, and boom, drinkable water. Immediately providing clean water. Can you imagine how much that would change your life if you went from struggling all day and then suddenly you just have, we flush gallons of water. We're like, I need to flush that again just to be sure. <laughs> you know, I'll pay for it. It's fine. I'm not trying to give us a guilt trip. What I'm trying to do is give us an analogy of understanding what it would be like to be so concerned about something. And then suddenly, pff, I don't have to worry about it anymore because it's dealt with. So I want to read that sentence again. After he provided purification for sins. Jesus just settles the score. And suddenly you don't have to sweat it. You can begin living the grace that he's given you, and you can begin to move forward. And we are so spoiled as modern-day Christians that we don't even care about our sins sometimes because we're just like, eh, Jesus has already provided purification. But we can't lose sight of the bigness of this. And then, number seven, because he did that, because of his holiness, his righteousness, and and, and, and the priestly role he could play, he steps in, And he sits down next to God in the majesty of heaven. This this is beautiful because here's the the big thing. Like God's the creator. He's got all these amazing things he does in the world. And he sustains the world and all these things. But, But do you know what he invites you to do? He invites you to participate in all of this. Do you know he invites you to, we say it all the time, shine light in dark places? We say the phrase, like, you might be the only Jesus that anyone will ever see. Uh, He is the radiance of God's glory. But Jesus himself says, listen, you too can go shine the light of Jesus. You can be the radiance of God's glory. Why? Why? Because he has provided purification for sin. That's a priest's job. But you know, in the Book of 1 Peter, you're called to the table, table, and we are called a priestly nation that we are the living stones building the spiritual temple and that actually we get to play a priestly role and we can go into people's lives who don't realize what a big deal sin is in their life and we can say, you know what? I know who provided purification for you. We can play the priestly role in life. We can participate in that. And then finally this, he's set down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You know in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, it says that he reaches down to us while we were still dead in our sins. And he raises us up and he seats us with Christ in the heavenly realms. We get to be seated alongside with God. All of the things Jesus gets to embody to change the game, to take the training wheels off, he invites you into. He says you get to experience the purity from your sin. You get to experience the priestly role to go into the world and make a difference. You get to shine his light. And Jesus says that whenever you shine light, people will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's an invitation. Are you listening? These are just seven reasons why Jesus... Is the training wheels ripped (laughs) off? Um, A lot of people have a hard time seeing the world that we live in and making sense of the idea that there's a God who loves us. You you follow that? Like when you watch the news and you see just everything that's going on, right now it's the economy and there's the war in Ukraine and Russia and like there's just stuff happening with stuff, you know, know, domestically. Like so, so many things going on and it's really hard for us to see How could God love us and let us live in this mess? Can we just wrestle with that together for a second? Because I think we'd be naive to think that no one else is thinking that. How does God love? How could he love? I think the answer to that is found also right here in this passage that we just read as we set up this study of Hebrews. I told you that there was one that I wanted to fold up, put it in your back pockets from chapter 3. We're going to pull that out now. Unfold it. Smooth the creases out. Let's get at it. This, this is the phrase that we skipped. It says that he is the exact representation of his being. The son is the exact representation of God. And, and I love this teaching. I didn't make this up. I've read this before. And it's really, really good. But, but we're going to go to a little bit of a lesson here, a little Greek lesson. So this was written originally in Greek. And the word there that is, uh, is representation is the word character. Uh That's probably how you pronounce it, right? Karakter. Um Does that look like a familiar English word to you? character, and I didn't just misspell the word character, that's, that's just like, that's the Greek word, but like, yeah, character, so the word, he is the exact representation of his being, the word representation is the word character, it comes from the Greek word where we get our word character, but that's how we use it, but in these times it actually is the word for a tool that was used to carve engravings in a piece of metal, and a piece of wood, it was a carving tool, or, or it was also the word used for the thing that you carved, the image that you made. And it's most familiar with the idea, maybe you've seen like an old movie where like there's like kings and knights and horses and stuff, and like somebody writes a letter on a scroll, and then they take some wax, and they drip it on the the little fold there, right? And there's like some wax, and then what do they do? They press something into it. What do they call that thing? A seal, yeah, or, or there's a seal, or maybe they've got the signet ring, and you press it in there, and then after it hardens, you pull it out, and then what do you have there? You've got an exact representation of the seal. The word for that is character. You could send a thousand letters. You can melt the wax. You could press the signet ring. And over and over and over, you're going to get an exact representation of the original. Okay, and so this word, character, representation, or the image of some translations use, the idea is this. If you wanted to know God, if you wanted to see God, If you wanted to know his inner workings and how he would react to situations and how he would treat other people and how he would deal with brokenness, what level of compassion does he have? If if you wanted to know God, the Son is the character of the Father, the exact representation. God said, listen, I I know this world is broken. I know it's a hot mess. You want to know how I'm going to deal with it? Look how Jesus dealt with it. Coming in with compassion, working with the outcast and the marginalized, showing love to people who knew not love, giving forgiveness, which is the, the hardest thing for us to do. This is the image of God. And then over and over and over, he duplicates himself in the world through the people who give their lives to Jesus. And we are called to be the image bearers of Christ, who is the exact representation of God the Father. What's God going to do about this mess in this world, the brokenness, the pain? He said, I'm going to go into the hard parts. I'm going to go in there with people. I'm going to cry with them. I'm going to help them with money. <laughs> I'm going to feed them. I'm going to befriend them. I'm going to be patient with them. I'm going to forgive them. Are you listening? This is the God who loves you. This is the God who came to this world in the form of a human man named Jesus to sacrifice his life for you. And this is who we worship. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power. And after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand in the majesty of heaven. This is just an introduction to the book of Hebrews. Because as we see the training wheels come off of each section of The Old Testament story, we're going to have more and more empowerment to go into the world and make a difference because of who Jesus is in our lives. But every week, I like to have just a challenge for us to take home, something we can tangibly do. Uh, Nobody's off the hook, no matter if you're new in your faith journey or you're old in your faith journey, this is something anybody can do. We try to make it really accessible. And the challenge this week is, is actually pretty simple. Like in short, it would be, listen to what God is saying. Like that would be the challenge this week. But we can most clearly hear what God's saying sometime by getting into his word. And so here's the challenge this week. The challenge this week is... Open your Bibles and read chapters one and two of Hebrews this week. I think we can manage that. In fact, I think you could probably read the whole book of Hebrews this week. Uh, I'm going to tell you, it's going to take some work because it was written to a culture that knew the Old Testament way better than we probably do. So I want to give you some tips as you do this. Number one, anytime you find something that you don't understand, write it down. You actually don't have to solve it right now. Um, you, uh, you, You know what you need to know right now. You don't have to solve all the questions. You can do some research. Google it. You know, just be careful what sources you look into, but pretty much you can find, you know the difference. (laughs) You can figure out what's good and what's bad and, and dig in a little bit. Get in a group of people and discuss those questions. That's great. Bring it back to you. If you come to me with some written down questions, I will be glad to tell you what I think about it quickly and then help you connect with others and we can make groups and discuss. That's what Bible study looks like. We get into the Bible, we just ask the questions. The second tip is this. Anytime you see a footnote that leads you to an Old Testament passage, time out, go read that passage. Like the whole context of it. Read, read the verse and then go to the whole context of it and just see if you can connect to the dots why it's got a footnote. Um, that's Bible study. That's, that's, that's part of Bible study. Just, and you, you don't have to walk away with some big devotional message every morning. Like, oh, this is going to get me through my day. It, it's, it may not. The, the work of understanding God's word is that it's a lifelong journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And the questions that you have and the problems that you're dealing with and the brokenness that's in this world is all solved by letting God work in you, letting his Holy Spirit change you. And so part of this is listening, 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 because in the past he spoke to us through many ways, but today he's speaking to us through his son. So let's tune in. Let's listen. That's the challenge this week. Let me go to God in prayer for us this morning.